Taylor's Intersection was a chance for me to have a medium where people could talk about the intersection of money and meaning. I've been in sales 16 plus years and I know for the most part it's binary. One, zero, one, zero, one, zero. If you bring in enough money, then you're a good person. If you don't, you're not so much of a good person. The sales world is binary and missing something important that goes beyond meeting quotas. This is how to prevent selling your soul and wasting valuable years of life. But sales can be more than just a money grab. It can be meaningful and enjoyable. And those who can better explain this meaning are not your cookie cutter by the sales book vanilla people. They're my guests. And hope you enjoy the first season. More to come in the second and seasons beyond. Um, these are colorful people and they discuss how they derive fulfillment, meaning, enjoyment, and also what they're bringing to the positive evolution of sales. And it continues to be wonderful. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, it's thanks for good. We're good to go here. So, um, yeah. So, welcome to Sales Intersection. Uh, this is where I discuss sales and the unique skill set my my guests bring to the evolving profession of sales, creating their own intersection, um, how they derive meaning. This is episode five. Episode five with my guest today, the uh, the William Wallace of sales, founder of the Sales Rebellion the hero to the evolution of sales, Dale Dupree. Um, you know, I wanted to research and, and learn, learn about your, uh, your value. So this time now I can provide you more with mine. That's actually a, a quote from you. Um, uh, just so you know, my niche in the, in the podcast industry's noise and options is I, I try to ask questions uh, have, that I've never been asked and you can't find online internet wide for the most part that are appropriate too. So, um, and, and I see you all over LinkedIn and honestly, you've given me more insight and sales acumen and value than in almost any of my historical sales mentors, man. So I want to say thank you for that. Um, and so to, to start off, I know you've been, I know you have said this a thousand times and told this story, but just, you know, familiarize my listeners, um, you know, uh, your background, how you got into sales, how you became William Wallace. Um, and, and just, and then we can get into the more kind of interesting questions. Cool. Yeah. So Dale Dupree, leader of the sales rebellion, but first my story starts back in 1984 with my father, Curtis Dupree, who founded his copier firm that year and left the big box store. He was the Dwight Schrute of the copier sales world. And actually he sold paper at one point. That's why we joke about it. Dunder Mifflin plus he like literally worked for one of the largest copier companies in the state of Florida and they had a pretty big stand. They were big enough that people knew who they were outside of the state as well too, which was kind of a big deal because the copy machine was, you know, sold by Kodak or Xerox. And that was about it. 
right? So, so my father decided that the, the life that, that he was being forced into through the culture and environment that the big box store and the corporate world had created for him, that his destiny was better left to the fate of his own hands and his own actions and his own intentionality. And so in, in 84, he started that business and I was born a year later with Tona running in my blood. And so were my siblings as well too. But I was the only one that decided that the business was going to be something that I came back to where we all worked in copiers at some point. Uh, a matter of fact, it's funny because my uncle Doug ended up owning the company that my father first worked for that he left to start his business and all of his daughters worked there as well too. So when I say toner runs in your blood, what well, it truly does when you're part of the family. Um, so I, I, inevitably came back to work for my dad but first I actually went out and toured in a band um first on Pluto Records shout out to Brian Coble one of my first mentors the owner of Pluto Records um and what was so great about Brian is that he was somebody that went out and found young he found young and raw talent that was looking for that entrepreneurial next level concept inside of their music walk and and he had done it with bands before us we saw the evidence of what he was doing and didn't just have to like hear from this guy and go like oh you know this sounds so good we could literally see what he had done for other bands and so we knew we were in good hands um and he ended up keeping his word he he, he helped us get on a warner music group and you know we became distributed all around the world it was pretty awesome did some big tours played with some massive bands uh, and then it all ended because of drugs and that's usually how most bands end. It's a sad thing, but thankfully nobody died. Um, and, and thankfully the people that were involved in that side of life are flourishing, right? But they're flourishing because we all made hard choices. And, and one of them for me was to come home and start working and doing sales. And it, it's not that I didn't want to go back and work for my dad. And it's not that I had a bad relationship with my dad at that, right? You don't, you don't need to hear me saying any of those things. But I was a 21 going on 22 year old kid that just got married, right? And the, the last thing I wanted to do was, was go home, right? Yeah, I so, got you. so I ended up coming back, working for my father. I spent a lot of time at his firm, four years, became the number, his number one sales rep. He sold the business in 2012. I became their number one sales rep overnight within 90 days. And I never left that mantle. I was with them for almost seven years. I was their VP of sales. Uh, six years, sorry, I was their VP of sales as well, too, before I left and went to the big box store myself, you know, and so you would, you'd sit here and you'd hear me tell this story and you're like, dude, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Well, as a rebel, <laughs> I thought that for sure I could go into a corporate environment and, and fix it from the inside. Um, and I learned over the course of a year and a half that quite the opposite. It was a very toxic environment, one of the worst places that I worked, without a doubt, even though I worked at two places my, my whole career. But um, I, would, I would assume that most people that came out of that place would say the same thing as well, too. The people were fine. Um, the culture sucked, right? And that's yeah. kind of the bottom line is that people over culture is the thing that you have to look at. And, and because of that, I sat back and said, wait, well, you could fix this from the outside in. And that's when the sales rebellion was born. And yeah. I know that was probably the longest intro anybody has ever heard about a human being. But my, my story goes deep and it's a thick, sludgy swamp, right? There's a lot of in-betweens. There's a lot of crazy stories that I have. Uh, and mostly just because I put myself in those situations through intentional action and motive. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I do now is I train salespeople to become better people, not better salespeople, but better yeah. people. We start with the root, 
and we work on their reason. Uh, we build their living pipeline. We help them to put people over products, and and we move them into becoming a true sales rebel. It's kind of, kind of ironic, you know, because you and you know the whole warrior movement is is the exact opposite of what you think a copy of a copier. You know, it, I it doesn't really come in. It's not a conversation piece. My friends and I don't talk about copiers. No one is not. It's not a sexy thing to talk about, and and that you know that that you made it sexy, you know, is is just awesome. Um, so anyway, you know, I wanted to uh, a little little spin on the, the the podcast. Instead of, I mean, I do want to ask some questions for sure, and I have a lot of them. Um, but what I mean, you know, when you get asked to go to when you go to a webinar or, or a podcast. What's exciting for you to talk about? What would you want to talk about today? You know, uh, the, one of the things, and no one's ever asked me that, but I do, I, it's crazier because I think every time I go on a podcast, I think I can't wait to talk to the person on the other end. It's typically what I think. And, and it's not so much, I love telling stories and, I, and mostly because in my mind, what I think of is I think, how can I impact the per person that is listening to your podcast that might not know my name? And that might be going through some of my similar struggles that might have gone through, um, you know, depression, which led to a suicide attempt like myself that have, you know, been married for 13 years and with their wife for 17 and gone through a lot of the same trauma and struggles that, that me and my wife have fought through and become best friends out of, right? They need to hear from a guy like me every once in a while that they don't have in their circles. I just think bigger picture in general. Yeah. I think about how I can impact more so than how I can promote my business. I could honestly, and I hope it's okay that I say this word, but could give a shit about yeah. whether or not somebody ends up coming over and buying coaching or one of our curriculums or any of our products. I care more about the idea of being able to ignite their own rebellion, to light them on fire, yeah. done listening to this, and so that they will go out and tackle and take over their own little communities. Yeah. And not and not in a weird way either, bro. In a way yeah. that that leads, you know, from the servant's heart. And, yeah. and and that helps to, to, to defend people instead of conquer them from a sales perspective. Yeah. You know, it's not like I know if there's, there's one thing, one uh, thing you, for happiness, one piece of thing that you can do for happiness. But for me, uh, awareness, my, my, my own awareness um, really helped me. I, I went through some years that were, I mean, I, you wouldn't believe it was two years. I mean, to give you an example, one, I fell down an eight story chimney, you know, and it was like 10 of those, maybe we could have a beer on day. We could, we could trade stories. But um, what really helped was I, I, you know, and I was a guy that if you said meditation to me, it was like nails on a chalkboard, you know, but it, it, I, it, it turned into not what I wanted anymore. It was what I needed. And, and so for me, meditation really has brought that. And, and it made me self aware that um, I was having anxiety, so much anxiety and depression in my life because of these sometimes work environments. And now I'm still in sales. And, and if I'm in a good environment, I, I don't have anxiety or depression and I'm, I'm finding value through sales doing this podcast. But that's, that's what I wanted to, um, you know, to say about that. Um, so, you know, um, what, you know, do, you, you did door to door success. Um, you know, you said, I, I, I listened to a, a webinar on YouTube. Um, and you know, if you if you went to 100 houses, you you'd probably have 
a, a success rate that's triple anyone else, right? And this is this is kind of a question I had for Larry Levine, your buddy, on episode two is, um, you know, you're you're kind of naturally you could tell a good human being, some likable care character, someone that you'd want to talk to, you know. But for those that are in sales, that maybe that's not the energy they have um, right away. It's but they're they're hard workers but they're, they're kind of the, the rogues, the, the mavericks. What do you, I mean, what do you advise there? Yeah, so one of the first things that I would, I would tell folks is, you know, my door-to-door -door days, what I've realized real quickly was that people are not interested in you walking in the front door. They, they're interested because they're like, oh God, here comes a sale for our product, right? And then as soon as you say, you know, hey, how are you? They, and then they start going, uh, you're not demanding things. And so you're not here to buy something. And it's almost just this immediate change of demeanor and perception. And you know, understanding that, first and foremost, you talked about awareness. Awareness of others is, is a lost art. Situational awareness is a lost art. And most importantly, awareness of ourselves is a lost art. Yeah. You talked about meditation. My, I'm born and raised in the church, bro, but I found Jesus on my own. You know, I wasn't forced down my throat. You know, I, I decided that that I wanted to take a spiritual path and I looked for my truth and I found Jesus through that whole process. And I'll tell you right now that that's one of the biggest things that kept me sane inside yeah. of my walk, to be able to connect with my spiritual life, to be able to call on my creator, to be able to ask for help from something bigger than just myself and to be unashamed about it. Like, there was a band that we used to tour with and their lyrics were let the world know that I am yours and I will, ne I will never be silenced. And I loved that saying. I wore that on my sleeve every day to, to not just from a spiritual perspective, but also in my community, let this community know that I'm going nowhere and I will not be silenced inside of it because I yeah. am here to serve it. And when I started to take these, these more intentional directives from myself that were not selfish, that were about what it was that I could leave behind for people even. To this day, I still have people calling me and asking me if they can buy a copier from me still, right? Or who wow. would I recommend? Or can I just do one more deal? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. funny. But, but, and I love that. And, and honestly, it, it warms me every time. There's so much fulfillment in it. And I don't think, oh man, if I was still in sales, I'd still be making half a million dollars selling copiers. I don't think like that, man. I think, I think I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's what every single person that's out there beating the streets, even beating the phones needs to be thinking about is that you need to be grateful for the interactions that you do get to have. And, and in, the, in the process of becoming grateful about that, that concept, <clears throat> you will realize and recognize that there is a way to not be unwanted, to, yeah. to, be able to transcend what people think of you when you do walk through the front door. And 100% it's through experiences, bro. When the copier warrior was born, he was born with a sword in his hand, right? That's what we like to joke about. And, and, and by having a prop and, having, and deciding this concept of Disney for sales, as we like to say here at the Rebellion back in 2012, when I made that decision, 2010, um, by using the crumpled letter, right? One of my fun little techniques that I did. Yeah. You know, we, we I've learned about it. Yeah, read it. It's it's fun, bro. We create a four letter cadence, and if you walk in and you say, "Hi, hey, you know, I'm so and so. I'm here to speak to Kevin. I'm with this company." As they ask questions, I sell this. Kevin's not coming out, but if you walk in, you're like, "Hey, I got this letter for Kevin. How do I get it to him?" It's a whole different conversation. Yeah. What 
what kind of letter is it? That's a crumpled letter, right? And the person on the other end, like, what? It's a what? You know, and then, oh, open it up, read it. Open it up and read it. Let me know what you think. Yeah. Right? Well, isn't it for Kevin? Hey, we won't tell him. Just put it back in when you're done. And when you have some fun and when you get, when you get people on the other end of, uh, of, of the talk track that you're giving, curious, when you get them curious, bro, when you get them excited, curiosity is the number one ingredient inside of my sales walk. And, and more salespeople need to talk about it. More sales professionals need to talk about it too, right? It's yeah. like a, a forgotten art, right? But, but leading with curiosity and becoming very intentional inside of your territory and changing it to a community. Get the yeah. words right. If they're not a prospect, they're a human being, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to just start changing your mindset. And that comes across with you. I mean, you're just, you're, you're talking your truth. You know, you do, you're just dropping lines like, yeah, I tried to kill myself. And someone that you just met in five minutes, you know, I, I sometimes say that I do that too, you know, like, oh, well, yeah, one time I fell down a chimney, eight stories. And sometimes people, will, it's not, it's not really natural for them to be like, oh, that's, that's, man, that's cool. They're like, whoa, whoa let's take a step back. You did what? You know, but be, being able to be yourself, you know, and, um, and, and admitting faults, you know, I had some, I had some really hard times and, it, you know, carrying that around, man, it, it's, it's so, it's so much weight on you letting that go. So anyways, I mean, on the side, that's, uh, meditation is, is the closest thing to, I have to religion and after, and that came after falling down a chimney because the, you know, the, the, the surgeon or the, uh, doctor said, you can go down that chimney a hundred times and you wouldn't have gone out like you did. Um, so um, that's something I do outside of work. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Like what, what kind of things do you do when you're not sales focused um, that are, you know, for your mental health or, or hobbies? Yeah, I, I live in, inside of something that I love. The first thing that salespeople have to do is like they don't go to get a job as a BDR because they had to to get a job as an AE, right? That's a bad mentality. You go to get a job as a BDR because you want to, because you're excited to learn, because you're gonna love what you're gonna what you're about to start doing. And then the perks of that come with it, right? If you end up becoming an AE or you move up into a management role at some point or a VP status at some point in your career, that's cool. But you've got to start with getting rid of the work-life balance concept. We were not made, whether you believe in God or evolution, bro, you do not believe, and you cannot change my mind about this, that you were created to work from eight to five. There is nothing genetically inside of us that drives us to just be like, oh, it's eight o'clock, it's time to work for the next eight hours and do nothing but that except for the lunch that I have to eat because it's mandatory. <laughs> you know, like, People have to check out of this mindset that somehow that working is is what we were created for, and they have to tap into the idea that that the work because of that there is no work life balance, right? Like you have to enjoy your life. You have to sit back and say, I love what I do. I'm happy with what I do. I'm encouraged by the progress that I'm making for myself. And if you're not making progress, you've got to start to think about ways that you can. Yeah. You've got to. And you've got to have a community around you holding you accountable to those things as well too, because that's what's really going to create and cause the growth that you're looking for in the first place. So I, for me, it's, it's this concept of like, what do I do all day to just stay sane and, and to mentally, uh, or to keep myself in a, in a mental place that's not lurking toward that darkness that I inherently have. Like, you know, not to say that somehow depression is like genetic, but it is a little crazy when you learn about some of the, the, the people in your family 
right, that have struggled with the same types of feelings, you know, some in the past, some even like right now in the present with you. And, and so for me, it's this concept of at the same time that we're, we're all kind of struggling this, with this thing to some capacity, like you talked about. And I like how you said, you know, I don't necessarily just, just sit with somebody or other people, I should say, I don't just necessarily sit with somebody and say, yeah, I fell down a chimney and almost died once. But, but in 2016, and because I am just such an outgoing person, it was natural. But in 2016, when I was giving my father's eulogy, I had a massive awakening that day had a transformation in my life and my mindset and the way that I conducted myself as a human because I looked out into a, a room where half the people I didn't recognize in a place that had a 900 person capacity and there was over a thousand people like lined up against the walls and I mean, they might as well have been standing on each other. It was one of the most intense things that I'd ever looked out at in my life. And to think that the people that were coming up to us afterwards were stating things like, I met you when you were this tall and like holding their hand down by their waist and saying, you know, you, you, your dad rolled my first copier into my office with you. You know, it was intense. Yeah. And so I woke up that day, bro. And I said, it's okay to tell people the things that you have struggled with or that you are struggling with. It's okay to be very forthright. It's okay to be very transparent. And, and there is no such thing as oversharing, right? There is definitely... <laughs> an inappropriateness to the way that you conduct how you share your stories and, and the things that have happened in your life. But there is no such thing as, as sharing too much information because yeah. it, as long as, as what it is that you're doing comes from an altruistic standpoint in regards to educating other people and to try to become more intimate with them and closer to them inside of a relationship, then it doesn't matter. Because listen, if they don't like what you say, they're not your tribe and they mm -hmm. don't need they don't need to be around you to begin with and you don't need to be around them because it's not healthy. So it's how true. you find your right, the right people. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I'm once I, once I, re, I, I made a decision to accept all the things that happened to me, um, not have shame about it. You know, it's not like I, I, I drop that, I drop that, let's, let's say on a date pretty like pretty early on about the chimney, you know, there's a time and place for it. <laughs> um, but you know, um, just accepting yourself, you know, and, and speaking about it is, is powerful and it takes strength, but it's so liberating, you know, mm. I went through that and then I realized I'm, I made a decision that I'm going to make every day a masterpiece, you know, um, you know, honor to have honor my job. I think is what you said. You had a saying, um, take honor in that. And you know, as you get older, you realize you're not going to be alive forever. You know, there, I was living in my 20s, my early 30s, just, you know, just partying like crazy, just acting like life goes on forever. And it doesn't, you know. Um, so as much as I can, you know, and I, I was really inspired by this, you know, that, that you said that is, is, is take honor in your life, you know, and that, that, that feels good for yourself and your, your social network. But um, so you, you talk about your dad a lot. Obviously, he was, he was a big influence. Um, uh, what, what gaps were there, you know, and why he was successful, why he was a good person and you? What, what were the most kind of unique gaps? Yeah, I don't, you know, I think the gaps in the, in the, be, in the beginning, the gaps were, for the most part, it was that we were the same person. Right, like, and that, and that I didn't recognize it. That I felt like he was so much different than me, and and I also sat back and watched his success, and I thought to myself, like, I'd do it differently. I would think to myself those things very selfishly, 
and, and but really what what it was though that I didn't realize is that I was thinking that way because I truly deep down inside believed inherently just as his son and his you know him being my hero my whole life that he deserved more recognition so you know he would do something when the door was closed and nobody would see it and I'd be like dude open the door and tell everybody I mean, <laughs> or let me do it like let somebody else do it I remember one time we got an award from the, the Chamber of Commerce in Titusville, Florida. And it was because he donated all this printing for just like for no reason, man. Like he didn't even have a membership with them. Yeah. He just donated all this at the time, at least. I became an active member and a board member eventually. Um, and my dad influenced those things. You know, I didn't know what any of that even was, what servant leadership looked like from that capacity until my dad taught me. But I remember they sent him this award in the mail and I was like, why did they send you this? And, and he said, well, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know, but I assume it has something to do with that. They asked me to be at the, the meeting to acknowledge me. And, and I declined it. I said, I don't want anybody to know what I've done. Like, it's, it, that doesn't matter to me. I'm just happy to have served you. And so they sent him that plaque instead. And, and so it was even moments like that where I was, I was starting to see, okay, I get it here. You know, like, we're really what my dad was finding by being that person was he was finding his real, his real tribe, the people that truly did appreciate and love him because they even in those moments were respecting that request, right? You know, they were saying like, all right, well, we're just going to send you something privately then if that's the case and, yeah, and sure. hope you feel honored by it and to put it in your office somewhere and maybe somebody will ask about it and then you can tell the story then. But you know, they never did anything publicly. And I, and I, I, it's romantic to me, that side of it. You know, so for a long time, I think it was, it was more or less this, the, the typical father-son relationship to an extent, you know, again, where I would say, yeah, I'd do that a little bit differently. But, but realistically, <laughs> everything that my dad taught me, everything that my dad did, I loved and I inherited and, and I am. You know, I, I tell people all the time that I walk in, in his bold shadow that and I don't want to ever leave it either sure and so not to say that I I not to say that everything I do I go what would my dad do by any means you know but I I do take his example as one of the indicators for me as to what is right inside of these decisions because I know I still have to make my decisions for myself and that's what my dad allowed me to do that's how he trained me that's how he that's how he motivated me that's how that's how he mentored me right you know hey I could, I could teach you all this stuff or you could just learn it. And guess what? The best part is that if you learn it under me, you get more time. If you learn it out in the world, you're fired in 90 days. But with me, you get a little bit more time. And if you fail, I'll fire you too. But I'll give you time. And time being one of the most important things that we can give to one another, I was grateful. And I am eternally grateful at this stage of my life for what he, the patience he had with me and the things that he allowed me to do, the experimenting with you know, taking empty donut boxes to people and, you know, telling them on the inside, like writing in Sharpie saying, sorry, I ate these waiting for you to get back to me. Like those are risks, right? You know, because I could make the business look bad even, but my dad believed in me, right? You know, and so I would, I would really say that when you look at it at the end of the day, I hope that people see my father in me when they look at my yeah. actions and they see what I've carried out. That's great. Man. Um, I'm sorry that did happen, you know, over two years ago, but uh, it obviously gave you a lot, ton of value in, in um, who you are today. It, I mean, it's, what, you, you, do you tell the uh, people 
that come to you for coaching just you can go crazy until you get a sale like a restraining order or where's where do you cross the line yeah. you, you've you've done some crazy stuff right like you said yeah yeah i was pretty close i almost got a, a restraining order one time <laughs> it was close but but i just got slapped on the wrist by the security guard instead which was nice you know but you know, we, we don't we don't want people to risk their livelihood. Yeah. But we want people to understand that in, until you care enough, nobody else will. Yeah. Right. Nobody will recognize it your existence at that. You know, and so you, you can't sit back and just say, Oh, I've made twenty five calls to these people. Eventually, because I've left so many voicemails, they'll get back to me. And yeah, we've all heard the story about you know, the guy that for two years kept calling his buyer and his buyer finally was like, All right, I'll give you a chance because you're annoying, you know. <laughs> That's really what the story, how it goes. You know, people tell it differently. They say, well, that's persistence. Like, no, you just annoyed the living shit out of this dude. And so he's going to take your quote now. But it, where's the quality in that kind of relationship? Like, where is, where is the, the sense of, of servant leadership inside of that? Where yeah. is the, how are we causing wonder in our prospect? How are we allowing them to see our true motivation? Because all they, all they hear is dollar signs every time we leave a message for them right? Sell you something, sell you something, sell you something. So COVID has obviously changed things because I mean, you, you can't do a lot of the, maybe some of the things you would encourage in the past, right? Is that accurate? Or I mean, you can, or, you can still do them that, you know, we, we've seen a, a drop in responses, but <laughs> it's the same drop that everybody's, everybody that is experiencing a drop have seen in their sales in the okay. first place, right? Like, so it's like, it office. all lines up. Yeah, an office is good still. You gotta fight, you gotta do recon it. In, in the, the year of COVID, <laughs> you gotta do recon. You gotta call the, the 800 number or you know the call center or the front desk that's being forwarded to the cell phone of the poor young woman or the poor young man that they're making answer the phones at home. And without a switchboard, right? Like without any way to get anybody anything and ask them what's going on. You know, I'm trying. I'm trying to help you all out. I've got some stuff I've been trying to deliver over to Kevin or over to Stacy. And how can can you help me out? How do I find them, man? I don't even know how to get a hold of them myself. You know, when you start to do that recon and you figure out, like, all right, these 50 people over here, I'm gonna have to come back to them after this thing's over. Yeah, yeah. I can do right, and yeah. then saying, well, okay, so how do I innovate that? How do I how do I find the people that are in their office that are have they do have a smartphone you know instead of a, a cell phone at their their employee's house that can send you know by hitting nine you know you over to the guy or girl that you're trying to get in touch with you know asking the right questions being yeah. a wanderer inside of your territory right now that's the thing that's most important is and not just like saying i dialed their extension and left them another message they must not be coming to the office well obviously they're not but the other thing is asking you know, you get on the phone with the receptionist. Yeah, you know, we're none of us are coming to the office right now. Well, can I get their cell phone? You know, because like they, they can tell me no. I'm not trying to bother them from the perspective of becoming a, a nuisance. I'm just trying to get in touch with them and see if I can send them the scrumpled letter in the mail. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now that unless you ask, you're never going to know the answer. A lot of people say things like, I can't ask that question or that's not business professional. Business professional is a cop out. Yeah. It, yeah. Really so, um, you know, you, what about like on online tools or, or the way to go, right? You know, everyone, everyone has maybe nap LinkedIn navigator or Salesforce yeah. or something. We, I mean, without using any kind of brands, if you don't, if you don't want to, what do you think is essential to use online to be effective? 
Yeah, use Lead IQ. I'll tell a brand, use Lead IQ, use Ryan O'Hara and Lead IQ. And that'll, that'll give you the information that you need digitally on the people that you're trying to get a hold of. And, and, and that's your tool right now during COVID-19 because also we're, we're teaching our reps, our, our students that we're, that we're training, we're teaching them how to do things digitally, how to take the experience that people would have by this thing that you send them through one of our market tools digitally. Right. You know, so we've got videos of reps crumpling up pieces of paper and, and this is a crumpled letter. I want to explain it to you, but you got to get back to me. Right. And causing curiosity and becoming fluent inside of a digital world in their outreach and just pivoting in the right way and because yeah. keeping the same fire, being excited, being willing to do the work. The best part is, is that you can send a, you can easily send a whole bunch of videos to a whole bunch of people's direct messaging through their LinkedIn after you get them to add you. And it's going right to their cell phone and they're sitting in bed looking at it, right? I mean, so you should be doing that post-COVID, right? People should be adapting to the way of, of, of the world and the way that the future is headed from a digital transformation standpoint, yeah. regardless. But the human connection is what people need more than yeah. anything. So don't disconnect yourself inside of that outreach. Stay present. I imagine there's at least some percentage of pe people that are, are coming to you that are unemployed. Um, and, and it's more about interviewing, not getting a sale. What, what advice would you give for, for them? Probably a lot, there's a lot of similarities and overlap, but what are you advising? Yeah, we're, you know, we're teaching people non-traditional ways. I'll give a shout out to Justin Wynn and anybody can find Justin by going through my LinkedIn. Um, he runs a company called Get Show Grind Up, or you can check out Daniel Botero. Um, he has a great book, College to Career. Um, he also is is running a great little community around students specifically that are coming out of college and looking for jobs right now, and and those guys those guys know what's up. They understand what's happening in the marketplace, what's happening inside of a work environment during COVID, and who's hiring, who's not, and how you're going to get attention, right? So that's the most important thing that you need right now is you need the attention of the person on the other side more than anything else, right? You don't need a, a, a badass value proposition as much as you need to be able to show resilience and, and that you're not in survival mode, you're in thrive mode and that, and that you know what you're doing and that you have confidence in what you're doing. But we've got students that, um, only a couple that have been laid off so far, but we also have a, a big community of people as well too. I mean, some of them were even on our happy hour last night talking about leaving jobs. What we've been encouraging people to do is to use the crumpled letter as a resume. And, and a lot of them have been doing it. And so imagine that you're sending this, this, this same outreach piece that gets in front of, uh, you know, a publicly traded company, because that's what our students are getting in front of, to get in front of an HR person. It works. It works wonderfully. And, and furthermore, it's, it's the risk that some people are looking for. You know, because again, people say to themselves, and they'll listen to this podcast, and they'll go, that's not professional. I couldn't do that. Once again, that's a cop out. If you don't take risks, if you're not willing to dare mighty things, you will fail. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Or you will find a job and it'll be something you'll be, you'll think that it's the right fit, but it won't be yeah. <laughs> because you're just, you're just settling, right? You're, yeah. get, you're getting complacent in your walk and you're saying, whatever. Yeah. I'll just go take this job over here. I'll just send a regular resume, you know, make a digital one, send video with it. Yeah. Talk to people, show your authentic side, you know, step outside of your box. I mean, in the, in the pie chart of all sales in the U S I mean, you are bleeding edge, you know, in terms of your ideas and the way you go about things. Um, and, and 
seems like you're natural for that. What do you, um, I mean, it seems like, and also naturally you, you'll continue to be that, but what kind of goals, what do you see, what goals do you have five, 10 years from now? Yeah, man, they're big. I mean, as a, as a company, it's our mission to tear down castles and build a kingdom and kingdoms are big. Yeah, so we want William to touch Wallace, millions. Like I said. <laughs> we want to touch millions of lives. We want to. We are already global. I mean, we have multiple countries that we serve students in, um, but we want to be bigger, and we want to be bigger not from the perspective or the sense of like making a ton of money and becoming so wealthy that we don't even know how to count it anymore. We want wealth that's generational. We want wealth that's altruistic and it's in its form where we understand that money is important because it's what makes the world go around, but we understand what a legacy is. We know what people truly need in their life in order to thrive. We know what's gonna bring fulfillment, what's gonna bring happiness, what's gonna bring peace, what's gonna give people, again, the fulfillment that they desire and not a sale, right? We wanna build a community. We want a place where people can go and they can challenge one another through accountability, through friendship, through camaraderie. We want rebels to rise up all over the world. And, and not just to become better salespeople, but to connect with themselves, to become self-aware, then to become aware of others and then aware of situations and yeah. change the world altogether. And we believe, because we believe, just like I said, in the generational concept. So what are we doing for our generation and the next that we hopefully, in the next after them as well, hopefully I'll still be around to serve them to some capacity, Yeah. Uh, you know, so that they take our teachings, our concepts, our mindsets, and they infect the next generation and the next and the next, and we keep this thing rolling because so many people have such a short-sighted view and that's why everybody fails. The rebellion looks long-term. Great, that's awesome. I want, I want to be respectful to time for just last question, and it's a bit of a selfish question, but I'm just starting up this podcast um, and my own uh, kind of site for business or, uh, you know, sales acumen and, and, um, and empower, you know, leadership and growth. Um, what kind of advice would you give me <laughs> to, to be, you know, to grow this business podcast? You know what, dude, like the best advice that anybody can give it to any capacity is make sure that every single thing that you do inside of growing and building and hitting these these goals and all these milestones that you're trying to because i'm sure you have some built up make sure that throughout the process that you're creating fulfillment and happiness for yourself and that you're not just doing stuff in order to be to, to hit the metric that's necessary metrics are non-existence inside of happiness they truly are not you know where if you are in a state of complacency through metrics, you'll never figure out how to get uncomfortable enough to find the success that you want, right? And so be bold, be daring, go out and, and try to get the biggest names possible on your podcast, right? And not because they're the biggest names, because it's a challenge, right? Yeah. And because it's about helping yourself to be able to, 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 to turn that switch and to say, life is much less complicated than we actually make it to be in the first place. Sure, sure, sure. Um, well, hey, Dale, uh, absolutely appreciate you coming on Sales uh, Intersection. You can find this on uh, Spotify, on Anchor, on most platforms, on YouTube, um, if you want to see the video chat. But um, it's, uh, the website is Business Sales Lift. Dot com and the podcast is sales intersection dale uh, do you want to say anything about you want to promote or um, where you can be found nah that's okay bro if you if people listening want to find me just google dale dupree 
or yeah. head to the salesrebellion.com and come join us. Yeah, that's great, man. Well, this has been a great use of my time. So I appreciate that and um, enjoy the rest of your day. And I really do hope we stay in touch. You got it, bro. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, man.